Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello, I'm Sean Bullard. And I'm James Poss. Together, we're Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, a weekly podcast that gets the best guests and drills down on the most important topics in the drone world. Sean, what are we covering this episode, and how does it fit into this month's subject, the proposed Ops Over People Rules? Well, James, we discussed the research behind the rule with Assure's Dave Artiburn of the University of Alabama in Huntsville, the potential impact of the rule on commercial drone industry with Lisa Elman of the Commercial Drone Alliance, and the Ops Over People Pathfinder with Tobin Fisher of Vantage Robotics, who's worked very extensively with CNN. This is our final episode of the series, and we're discussing what the FAA calls mitigation measures, or how to get your drone within the impact tolerances of the proposed Ops Over People rule. Retired Israeli Air Force Brigadier General Eden Addis, CEO of ParaZero, is joining us from Tel Aviv today. He's going to discuss parachutes and other technology as mitigation measures for drones that must fly over people. All right, Sean, and before we start, uh, truth in advertising, I have to disclose that I am on ParaZero's advisory board, but I think you'll see why I chose to join them by the end of our talk with General Addis. Uh, fair enough. Let me introduce our guest for this episode, Eden, coming to us from Tel Aviv. Uh, before we get started, would you mind giving us a little insight into ParaZero? Yes. Uh, so hi uh, to everybody. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, ParaZero Moles was founded four years ago, mainly to address the safety uh, challenge. Uh, back then, we were drone operator, and we realized that to have commercial drone in extensive use, they need to fly over people, over urban area in low altitude, and you need to find a solution uh, to allow it to happen. And, uh, and this, as I said, came from our experience uh, having mishaps, having accidents, and uh, we were looking for a solution. There was nothing out there, and uh, this this is uh, the way we established ParaZero and uh, started uh, having those uh, safety systems. And mounted, and since then, um, the company managed to have a variety of systems for uh, almost any type of drone. Um, we start working heavily with uh, all the CAAs around the, the world, uh, starting with the Israeli, of course, and uh, as well today with the FAA and the ASA in Europe. Uh, that's uh, more or less uh, up to now. I mean, we manage already to do a, a demonstration in North Dakota under the. Uh, U.S. IPP program of flying over people. We're part as well with the Kansas program, and there's a lot to go. We can discuss later. Okay, so you know we've discussed a couple uh, impact mitigation technologies uh, out there. So Vantage Robotics discussed uh, frangible drones with deformable structure, but. You know, there's all kinds of stuff out there, impact absorbing structure, airbags. I, I saw a guy that was proposing retro rockets. Why did you pick parachutes, given how complicated it is to get them to deploy in time to prevent a crash or to mitigate an impact? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think uh, since uh, the day of inception of the company, we explore uh, almost all technologies and, uh, and even have a few uh, kind of prototype of uh, different uh, things. So um, retro rockets, it's, it's a great solution. It probably will be kind of feasible for more heavier, heavier vehicle as, as the basic weight 
uh, of the system, basically. Really? I thought that guy was crazy, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. One day, you know, it's kind of science fiction, but probably it will be one day. But what I'm saying that uh, for those small, medium-sized uh, unmanned system, uh, the weight, the added weight is the challenge. And the combination of uh, adding minimal weight and, on, on the other hand, uh, getting the most efficient uh, energy reduce uh, reduction, uh, should I say, uh, effect that that's at the end of the day what what we're looking at. and the way to to be very effective in reducing the impact energy you need the, the best way to do it is to reduce the speed uh, the the speed on the way down uh, you know the basic equation of uh, kinetic energy uh, you have uh, the the speed is is in power of two so if you manage to decrease the speed you dramatically decrease the kinetic energy. And um, surprisingly, parachute at the end of the day is the most efficient uh, system to do it. But mm. once you need to, you have to couple it with a, a very uh, uh, quick system, an autonomous system that will identify that there is a, that you're in kind of a critical scenario. And then to have a, a, a way to not just to deploy a parachute, but to have an ability to deploy it in a minimum of altitude loss. And that's uh, kind of the two things that we are. Uh, we 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 bring focus along the year of having on one hand autonomous uh, quick system, the computer that will identify the situation, and on the other hand, to have uh, a very effective deployment mechanism. And the company have a few patents around that, the way we're doing that, which allows us a minimum altitude loss. And this is very crucial, crucial or critical when you fly in low altitude, and not heavier uh, add-on. And on the other hand, to have a very effective uh, way of reducing uh, the speed on the way down, which uh, dramatically reduced the kinetic energy, we found it as the most efficient combination. I, might, I, I may say that in, in some solutions, we, 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 there is an ability to have not just a parachute, but to have a parachute, to have a combination of an airbag and later on a kind of a retro rocket. Uh, All right. we, we, We've been asked for some customer to do this type of combination, and it can be done. So can you tell us how does it actually work? Yeah, give us some details. I mean, how do, how do your customers know that this parachute is really going to open when they need it? I mean, what, is this operated, you know, 10 feet, 5 feet, 50 feet, 500 feet? Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, R&D goes into into each product and a lot of uh, tests. And, you know, once you enter to the safety uh Area or safety segment, and that's definitely. I mean, uh, from your background, uh, James, and my own background on flying uh, airplanes and manned and unmanned uh, type of airplane, you know that uh, reliability becomes uh, an issue. Absolutely. So w- we set, and this is kind of a learning curve of to define what is uh, a critical parameter. Uh, it could be a combination of uh, of a freefall, a combination of breach of a critical angle and other combinations. So in each of our system, there is a, a 25 different type of things that we're looking and sensing. And this is 25? done redundant. Wow, okay. Redundant from the drone itself. And there is a, a real-time algorithm, which is one of the IP of the company, of how to look and identify whether your normal situation, we have kind of an interim phase, which we call an abnormal. It's still not critical, but it's abnormal to what you usually do. And then once you move to critical, and in, in, in a simple language, critical uh, condition is a condition where the drone is not in flyable or not in a control uh, situation anymore. And in this case, the system triggers a sequence to take the drone 
from where it is to the ground smartly and safely. That's what we're trying to do. There is a flight termination system, the trigger. We, we need to let the vicinity know, either by using our own communication, connect to the UTM, or other type of means, very basic stuff as well of uh, uh, visual and audio uh, alerts, whether it's in nighttime or that, just to let people know that something is coming and move aside. And then if you uh, to, to have some steering capability on the way down to avoid if there is a human or kind of challenging obstacle. That's more or less what the system is trying, uh, is, is doing. So if I heard you right, so this thing is constant, uh, your software and your sensors is constantly scanning through 25 different variables to make up its mind whether the drone is in a, in a critical, unrecoverable position. So it's run out of power and it's falling or it's just crashed or whatever. Uh, the drone then terminates, uh, you know, cuts the power uh, uh, to the, the engines and then deploys a parachute. So what's a realistic altitude? Let's let's pick on one of the more popular uh, drones out there, the DJI's Phantom 4. So the, the Phantom 4 will be uh, uh, not more like above 6 meters. That's more or less uh, where the system become effective, between 4 to 6 meters. 4 to 6 uh, meters, and this, wow. A lot of it depends on the type of the deployment. I can share with you that uh, our heaviest system protect uh, a manned jetpack that we develop uh, that wow. weighs 330 <laughs> wow. kilos. So okay. you can translate it to lids. It's, it's uh, almost 700 lids. And, uh, and this system, contractually, we were committed to deploy it or to, to be effective above 1.5 meter. Wow. And, uh, and after the sort of the, the, the development, the average altitude was around 12 meter. And this is a super heavier uh, system. So the one that you talk between the range of Phantom 4 the Matrice 200, the Matrice 600 will work in this uh, range of effectiveness, which is up to 10 meters in, in, in our case. Okay, that's, uh, that's, that's what the uniqueness, one of the uniqueness of the company. Wow. So uh, so just picking on the Phantom 4 again, you said 4 to 6 meters. As long as it's over 4 and ideally over a little bit over 6, that parachute's going to deploy. Yeah, uh, that, that's, wow. that's, uh, that's the way that the system is, uh, is planned. And again, the, uh, um, we're probably gonna say a few words about the the, the kind of standard that there is now an ASTM standard that, mm-hmm. that those systems needed to to follow, and uh, and and I can say how this uh, this is done. Okay, well, well, let's let's talk about ASTM standards. So, ASTM is a, a standard making body um, that is used to uh, you know set worldwide standards, not just for drones, but for aircraft and vehicles and all that for stuff. For everything. Yeah, for everything. And I understand that you just were certified as compliant with a new ASTM standard for self-contained drone parachutes. Can you give us a little bit about the standards definition process? Um, you know, were you involved in it, uh, and and how did you manage to comply so quickly after it came out? Because it's only been out for a few months. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's only been out uh, uh, from September uh, more or less 2018. It was uh, fully published. This was more than a one year process that uh, we've been. Uh, it, it was under a kind of a working group. Uh, hosted by the FAA and the ASTM, a participator like DJI, Amazon, other safety companies. And it was kind of a bi-weekly meeting, long process to, to find what will be the way to define where system is, is meeting the standard. And the, the majority of it was around the reliability and the proof that the system will work in different type of scenario. 
So you need to run through a 45 uh, different type of aerial deployment, and it needs to be validated by a third party, a third uh, entity, which is uh, recognized by the FAA. Um, so that's more or less uh, the standard we put it and uh, we recently uh, we're now gradually taking all our system uh, to uh, to meet and hit the standard and uh, we've been complying the system for the phantom 4 and we're going to soon uh, announce for the system for the mavic uh, 2 and for our other more heavier type of system some of this process of the certification for the for each system is done with uh, with partner uh, either under the IPP program or under other type of program. So this provide or this maybe address one of the questions you asked before, so how the customer will feel uh, comfortable with the system that the system is working. So that's set, this standard is set, the amount of uh, deployment that you need to do, the, uh, some limitation around design. It talks about the autonomous capability that needed to be part of it, the redundancy. Uh, and uh, so that that's kind of what in, inside of it. I think we should have and we will probably have few of those standards around flying over people that at the end of the day will fit on this new proposed regulation that uh, and that is, is, is in the air uh, right now. So are you, are you going to have to go through this? It sounds like a fairly long process to get certified compliant with the standards for every drone that you come and then that that you want to um, uh, put your system in. And then, uh, you know, what if, uh, you know, like an M600, I, I change a camera out. Am I going to have to get that certified for certain cameras and certain ways? How does that work? Not for a, ch- a camera change. It's talk about like a generic configuration, and it's mainly for a drone type and its maximum uh, payload probably. So... Uh, Regardless, if it's in the maximum payload, then you just change uh, just change one of your payloads as long as you're not out of uh, oh, gotcha. out of the environment. So you're good. So you're doing it per each drone. It's it's not a long process to do the test. It uh, could take like two weeks. It's investment. There's a lot of investment of uh, in money and time and analyzing all the report and all of this. But again, uh, uh, we think that this is uh, one of the way. To, to create distinction between someone is doing uh, something in his backyard and says, okay, that's a, that's a parachute safety system. By the way, the same as in airbag in your car. I can share with you that uh, all of us in, in this podcast could, could uh, download a YouTube movie and go and assemble an airbag in, in our garage. But I'm quite sure <laughs> so that none of us... Okay, nobody do that out there. We're not advocating car. that. All right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, high level of engineering, a lot of tests, uh, uh, around it, a lot of um, validity uh, needs. That, that's the way to deal with safety. Okay, General, we're at the 15-minute mark. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to ask you about uh, your opinions on these rules and, and how, how you fit into them. So we'll be right back, folks. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rody and Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rody and Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. So, welcome back to Inside Unmanned's Drone Beat. So, as we were talking about uh, the the rules earlier, as a policy person, could you kind of give us kind of what are your thoughts on the proposed ops over people? 
Well, you know, from top level, as one of the goals of TaraZero is to enable the industry to flourish and to fulfill its full potential, no doubt that this type of regulation is needed and is welcome, and we were looking to see it coming. I think it's a first draft. I think there's going to be changes into that. And from our point of view, it's slightly conservative at this phase. It will be hard to That seems to be a recurrent theme, but yeah. Yeah, we've heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. It's some conservative, you know, just things like flyover moving vehicles, which we don't think is justified to not to allow it to happen. And, and definitely the energy threshold should be higher or should not just be counted as a number, but a combination with other research okay. things that Dave talked about. So uh, so I, th- I think, uh, again, on one hand, it's great, uh, like in very simple words. On the other hand, it's slightly more conservative. And, uh, and if we, we're looking to see the industry uh, kind of uh, jumping out of this one, we need to do some uh, adjustment. And, and I think it will happen, even not in, if, if not on the first uh, step uh, as we go along. Uh, but what's very clear and what's more uh, maybe important to say, it sets the standard. You know, everybody now understands that on one hand, you can right. fly over people and in urban area, but right. you need to do a few things to do it. Are you saying you can actually work with this rule? With adjustments. With, with, with adjustments. some adjustments yes. regarding, uh, you know, we would like our customer to have an ability to expand the operation envelope. That's that's the, the name of the game at the end of the day, because today under the 107, you're very limited. Right. So if you want a game changer, you need to, 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 be, to take all this limitation out. And um, so if we take the vehicle out, we, we, we take some of the energy uh, threshold uh, to higher position, it can be done. We as well address quite good for the first and second uh, segment. The third segment is challenging, not because of the solution, it's challenging because of the physics, uh, the law of physics. So, um, but, but I believe it's a great first step. That, that's the way we'll, we're seeing it. Okay. So we really haven't talked about a, you know, kind of a technical issue um, in, in any of our uh, podcasts on this subject before about the means of compliance in the rules. I think the FAA has got a solid proposal. They're going to offer one method that they'll accept as a means of compliance, but then they'll leave the door open for other methods from industry. Um, any thoughts on how you'll work with customers to ensure that they comply with these rules? Or, you, or I mean, do you have a means of compliance test that you want to propose to the FAA? Or are you comfortable with what they've got? Because it seems like that's going to be very critical. Uh, you know, if there is some type of energy transfer impact rule, um, how you assess that. Yeah. So again, I think that the way it used in other type of uh, regulation. So the regulation said what you need to hit. So if it's an like in energy level or other type of limitation, and now the, the we will need to have and adopt few standards that will said okay, my system can uh, I can come and say this system is reducing the impact energy to this level. And say okay, it's very nice that you're saying it, but what support it? Exactly. And then this is where the ASTM standard that we've just discussed stepped in. Because this one said, okay, this system has run through 45 different type of ferial tests. This is the data behind it. So anytime I'm selling to a customer an ASTM approved or certified system, it's not just the system that he's paying for. He's paying for the process I've done. He's paying for the data because he needs this data to file in the interim phase to file a waiver. 
and to, to expand the envelope as of today. We don't need to wait a year and a half if this regulation will fully adopt it. The, the interim phase is done under uh, those kind of waivers. And, and the other, uh, uh, and we will need, as I mentioned before, we need to have maybe few more standards around how to measure the impact energy, because once you have a velocity speed on the way down, let's say we manage to reduce the speed to mm. 4.5 uh, meter per second, and combined with the weight of the platform, you get some number, but then you need to see whether this number, uh, uh, if what will be the impact or what will be the consequence if it will hit a human, if it will hit a car. And this can be done with a complementary type of standard that is being shaped today as well. So the means of compliance uh, for the standard will be an additional set, uh, for the regulation, sorry, will be an additional set of standards that will step in uh, you need to prove your reliability system, uh, reliability level of your system. There's a lot of those data that today manufacturers are avoiding in putting on the table. They will need to do it. We will need to know what's the reliability level of each system uh, on the normal uh, aspect of it and on the critical aspect of it. Uh, that's 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 kind of last. That's what we're doing with our system from the critical point of view. Our system is designed to meet what we call commercial aviation standards. Uh, which is much higher reliability level than the average drone today in the market. Okay, so two points on this. Did I hear you right uh, that when you're going through the ASTM standard that we just published, you end up doing 25 different flight configure? 25? 45. 45. 45. Okay, 45. well, there you go. No, no, I, <laughs> I probably missed it. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, and, and you also kind of, you know, blew through a very significant part. I mean, we're, we're all, you know, this month's episode is about the NPRM on ops over people. But uh, you're saying you've got the data to back up a, a, a solid Part 107 rule to be able to get your customers flying now. How confident are you that the FAA would take uh, a waiver for ops over people rule for one of your products? Well, that's uh, – that's, I mean, we have uh – few customer now on a process of uh, filing a waiver to fly over people in, in, in different type of scenarios. It's, it's kind of case by case. And we're, we, I believe we'll see kind of uh, news coming in the next, uh, uh, hopefully, couple of weeks or maybe slightly longer. It depends on the uh, FAA uh, process. Uh, we're being asked for a few more uh, data here or a few more clarifications. So we're working uh, we're working closely with the FAA team that uh, evaluate those type of uh, requests, and and I, I feel kind of comfortable that uh, we will see uh, we will soon see uh, a waiver for flyover people that is based on a safety system. Okay, I know you probably can't share the customer, but uh, what was your work that you did on the integrated pilot program? I know you you mentioned yep. you worked with North Dakota and Kansas. Did did that? Um, help you with this waiver and, and, and what exactly happened in your IPP work? So in, in, in this, uh, what we've done in, uh, in the IPP in North Dakota, it was uh, one of the scenarios was to, to, to do to show flyover people can be done. It was based on a Phantom 4 with our, the back then just uh, the first type of system that we developed and, and we demonstrated that this system uh, before we needed to provide the data for the FAA because it's done under FAA approval. And to support the needed data of the of before this was done before the ASTM was formally published, but in the spirit of the ASTM, and uh, and uh, in the day of demonstration, we've managed to perform, uh, if I remember correctly, around dozen of flights. Uh, the end user was the the local sheriff, and it's uh, done uh, 
above a tailgating event before one of the football <laughs> okay. games. Okay, well, that's a yes. useful yeah, one. So it was like, <laughs> and it was many. It was used for what they call crowd monitoring. So yes. all of the flights were successfully. Of course, we didn't need to test the system back then. We just needed to do what uh, you know to do the crowd monitoring. Uh, so this was very successful, and it provides that, that kind of the the the, the background now or the basis to move forward with this type of uh, waivers. So definitely, this is in the background of the FAA of uh, moving forward and assess other type of uh, those waivers. Okay. Yes, no, I'm 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 very familiar with the uh, the program there. For full disclosure, having worked with the Northern Plains UAS test oh, site for great. many 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 years here in Washington on uh, on all things policy, and so very familiar that that. That, that was very, very successful in more ways than one. I, I wanted to ask, you'd said something just a little bit earlier and kind of wanted to go back a little bit in that you're talking about the standard and developing a, a standard that would be beneficial to you. Would you be able to cast your net um, wider with, let's say, other types of platforms? You mentioned some of the larger platforms that do like a jetpack and some other things where those who are exploring weather sensors and remote ID and micro weather forecasting possibilities and others. Is this is there something on the horizon yeah, that you could talk uh, about? I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, you mentioned that it, you know, you'll, you'll let UTM know when the parachute's deployed. So yeah. you clearly got right. some kind of communication ability. Right. You got weather sensors. It seems like this could be more than just a you know a parachute for small drones. I mean, what else can you do with this? No doubt, you know, once you're uh, you're on the system or you're part of the the system, and then it's kind of mandatory to have you on board, and the system have uh, its own redundant computer sensors communication. It definitely could provide this additional uh, feature of function. Uh, we've been asked. Uh, I think you asked. You mentioned weather, but we've been asked to to use our data for what they call micro-weather in, inside of what, urban areas. Okay, right. what is micro-weather forecasting? To provide kind of an additional information for those the weather model and that they're using and they're having challenges in having them into in, in between urban areas, between buildings and that kind of stuff. Uh, and this oh, so be, like wind tunnels created yeah, by wind tunnel, buildings. Yeah, oh, you're right. Okay, gotcha. And, and this could be done parallel to, you know, the drone do what the drone is doing, but this additional information could definitely be shared. Uh, no doubt that based on the cellular communication, that's one of the way to communicate with uh, with any type of cloud. You know, UTM at the end of the day, it's a cloud. Uh, so th- th- that's we've done one of those uh, one of those um, tests uh, with one of the UTM company without saying the name. Uh, one of the UTM service okay. provider, and it worked. You know, we combined the two clouds of the Parazero cloud and the UTM, and this specific company, UTM cloud, and sharing. Uh, on, uh, real-time relevant information. So it, it's hard to, 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 and as well, a remote ID. Okay, the remote ID at the end of the day will be probably based on some kind of a cellular communication between, um, I don't know if it will be a police or whatever, but the ability of someone to open a, uh, to open kind of an app on his iPhone and, and to see whether this drone is, uh, is uh, registered, identified, and is not, and, and it's, let's say, a legit drone, uh, it will be based probably in this kind of communication. And we uh, uh, as well could do, it could be an additional uh, function for the for the kind of around the safety okay, system. So We're looking for everything which is around 
it has a connection to safety. So UTM is connection to safety. Uh, the remote ID has a, some aspect of safety, and all of those can be can be based on those type of systems. Okay, so you're. But I think I heard you say we do not want to get into the details of remote ID because we're going to spend all next month on that. <laughs> not yet. But I think I just heard you say that that uh, essentially your uh, parachute system could be kind of a strap-on remote ID system, which I should imagine there'll be a lot of call for when we're kind of in that interim period where we've got drones that, that don't have whatever the solution for remote ID is going to be and before you know, manufacturers start you know, baking in remote ID. You could use your system as a strap-on remote ID. Did I get yeah. that right? That, 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 that could be one. A strap-on is uh, there is an advantage on one. And on the, on the other hand, you don't want it to move. So, But there is a way to overcome it and as well to prove to to be to verify that uh, this system is the system you're looking and not just uh, some system. Uh, but again, as you said, that's uh, that's uh, to dis- further to discuss in uh, in your later uh, yeah. later at, on. at length, and we we might have you back on it too. Who knows? I'd like to ask is is what we've asked some of our our previous speakers as we kind of get close to wrapping up here is if you could write the rules, uh, what would be the one rule that you think you would you would change? I believe the threshold of the kinetic energy probably for rigid yeah. object. You, right. you can work around it to provide something more reasonable uh, that will allow more drone to fly, right. as well heavier drone, but as well not to provide uh, a danger uh, to what's happened below. Um, that, that's, I believe, um, a kind of the first uh, emphasize for us. Well, Eden, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful that you can find the time to discuss this very important uh, subject. Uh, what's our in-depth subject for next month's series, Sean? Well, James, it's another big one, remote ID, which we dipped our toe in there for just a second. Then we got out because uh, it's, I know we technical. Just, it's yeah. technical, <laughs> and, and I know we discussed remote ID during our counter UAS discussions, and but we're really going to discuss it in depth with members of the Remote ID Aviation Rulemaking Committee, a speaker from the cellular industry and a speaker from ASTM Standards Group. Okay, well, that's everybody you'd want to talk to. Yes, well, sir. Okay, good job. Okay, well, folks, this concludes Episode 8 of Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. I'd like to thank our guest, Israeli Air Force uh, retired Brigadier General Ed Nattis of Parazero, coming in all the way from Tel Aviv. And I agree. I think no matter how you slice it, General, these ops over people rules are going to be good for folks that have parachutes that deploy automatically in just a few meters. So thank you very much, General. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.